Hello and welcome to your May 2021 episode of The Smug Buds, the podcast where we explain simply everything to those geese. Honk honk. I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, the Vice Admiral Holdo of Amateur Podcasting. Oh, you're right. Liz. Hi, Liz. Hey, Will. Whenever you like started um, saying my name, I like smiled at you really big like people could see me. Like they could be like, oh, that's the one that he means, mm-hmm. but they can't see me. No. And also there's only two of yeah. us. So why why am I um, Holdo in this situation? Well, you're, you've got your fashionable uh, purple hair. That's that people right. can't see right, baby. because this time mm-hmm. we're recording a podcast and we're not live streaming <laughs> on Twitch. Uh, old business, Liz. Old business. Will, I've got some great news for you. Yes. They're getting rid of Calibri as the default font. Clearly, it'll still be available. <sighs> yay, yay. <laughs> the cries of the masses. Hooray. But no longer will I be able to have, will my coworkers be able to say to me, well, but, you know, it's just what was there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are five fonts that they commissioned. They, um, and they're picking, they being Microsoft. They, they being Microsoft. Yeah. Um, Bill, Bill Gates himself. Bill Gates himself. Was, I, think, I think Melinda got uh, Calibri in the divorce is the reason they're changing it. <laughs> Oh, no. I haven't seen that um, joke yet. Did I just invent I have, that? I think you invented a joke, that yeah. That seems like somebody should have made that joke already. You should tweet that. Thank you. Tweet it quick so you can timestamp it. I'll tweet it just as soon as we're done in three hours. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. hopefully it doesn't take that long since, um, well, I'll say some new business after this. Yeah. Um, so there's four different fonts. Bierstadt. Mm-hmm. Grandview, Seaford, Skeena, and Tenorite. Yep. Now, do you have a preferred font out of these? No, I have not studied them enough to know what my preference is. <laughs> um, my preference is um, Bierstadt mm-hmm. right now. Um, I My least favorite is Tenorite. Mm-hmm. And I feel... Um, indifferent on the others um, for the most part. Grandview I like quite a bit. I'm trying to find the image where it's like the quick brown fox mm-hmm. so I can see all the letters. But um, the main reason that I like Bierstadt so much is that um, it has, it solves a problem. Oh, here we go. It solves a problem that Kenny and I have mm-hmm. um, often, which is that in sans serif fonts, ones, L's, and the pipe all look pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're slightly different heights, but if you were to put them, let me put it this way. If you were to put these letters in a row, which doesn't happen that often, but, you know, if it could be possible that mm-hmm. it could happen. You could tell that they were different. You'd probably be able to pick out the pipe. But I think it would be difficult for most people to just quickly tell which is which. Mm -hmm. And in this one, 
the lowercase l um, of in Tenorite, the lowercase l has a little, uh, like a little whoop at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's just a little whoop. Yep. Um, it's not a serif, but it is just like a little bendy bend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like that L stepped in a hole and fractured its ankle and just bent it a little bit. Kenny thought that joke was funny. I heard Kenny laugh at that. I think that <laughs> Kenny might... doesn't laugh ever. I think that is a first for all the, what, almost 60 times that we've done this. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Um, so the new, new the new business I have is that I fractured my ankle. Yes. To timestamp this, uh, we're recording this Friday, May twenty first, and you fractured your ankle yesterday. So it's true. You are in some considerable pain. Yes. And it sucks. Uh, look at and look at what you're doing with it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean, as I was saying to you off mic earlier, you know, as listeners may know, uh, either because I. Uh, have told them at length or because maybe I've just mentioned on the podcast. Um, I did, I have torn my ACL and my meniscus and this pain is considerably less than this, like 36 hours after the fact, Mm -hmm. um, than it was those incidents. But I also sprained my ankle in September and this pain is significantly worse than that. It's just right in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, um, Hopefully we don't, I mean, I'm going to love to talk about our subject today, but hopefully we don't go, go too far because (laughs) I also woke up because I have to sleep with this silly boot on and I woke up at Mm 2am because I was, I couldn't, it's like heavy. And so it like was cutting, it's sort of like if you're carrying like a heavy bag of groceries on Mm -hmm. your arm. Yeah. There's no like real way eventually to get it where it's not cutting into your arm. Right. And so eventually I took off the boot, which you're not really supposed to do. I mean, I haven't explicitly been told this, but our devotee of the pod also had a similar incident. Hers was much worse recently. And my paperwork does basically say don't take it off unless you're showering and then you have to be super careful. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I took it off for a while thinking, well, I'm not sleeping anyway. And I still didn't sleep. And then I got up and I wrote an essay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's. That's what's new. What's new is what's old is what's new. Yes. Everything uh, old is new again. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing new under <laughs> the sun, etc. Uh, I will do my best to exercise some restraint uh, in order to provide some relief for you. Um, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Oh, one more note on the fonts. Yeah. Um, Tenorite. The reason I don't like Tenorite is because it looks pretty similar to Calibri uh-huh. as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, it has the things about Calibri I don't like, which you can listen to that uh, episode, that English language episode. Yes. If, you can li- you want to know. You can listen to Liz talk about fonts almost inexplicably in our grammar <laughs> episode of the podcast. Yes. Um, I could do some old business uh, if I wanted to. For example, uh, The Handmaid's Tale is back on the air. Yes. Uh, let's just put a pin in that and talk about it in two months. Um, mm-hmm. Marvel has made plenty of announcements uh, in the recent weeks. Uh, let's just put a pin in that and uh, talk about it in November. Uh, and uh, let's uh, talk about the uh, order of the day. 
Yeah. The first and the final order of the day. (laughs) Uh, Liz, do you want to say what my topic is? We're going to talk about how backwards, how you would have made. Are we not doing it that way? I may have changed my mind about the going in reverse order. So, well, I'll just say we're talking about the last trilogy of Star, the Skywalker saga of Star Wars. Right. Yes. Which I feel like as a culture, we have not agreed upon the name of this trilogy. Oh, the final trilogy. Yeah. Like the sequel trilogy, you might call it, or Mm -hmm. the Disney trilogy. Uh, But we're talking about seven, eight, and nine. Uh, Liz, May... (laughs) The 24th be with you. Yes. That's, that's right. Today, if you're listening to it, the day Liz yeah. posts it. Uh, Can I tell you a very funny, only tangentially related thing before we get really into this? Of course. So one of the things I edit at work um, will sometimes bring up real life cases that happen in the financial industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that was brought up recently, and I don't even remember what it was for, but I've had to edit it a couple of times. The name of the broker dealer was, and this is this is not like a fake name. Like this was like a real life case that they're like, see, this happened. This mm-hmm. is how the rule was applied and how they got in trouble. Right. The name of the broker dealer was the Supreme Alliance, <laughs> which doesn't that sound mm-hmm. just so fascist? Yes. White supremacist. Sure. And as if it was the evil people from star wars it would fit right in yeah (laughs) i mean i think the only reason i can think of that it wouldn't fit in in star wars is that alliance might make you think of the allies Mm -hmm. in world war ii who were the good guys Mm -hmm. and so that would cause some confusion perhaps Maybe if Kylo and Rey had gotten together that would be in seven that would have been the supreme alliance or in eight yeah or Or in nine eight even. Yeah, any of them. Any of them. Eight, eight was specifically what I was referring to. I just misspoke. Yeah, understood. Um, so, uh, real quick, uh, I was thinking of your experience with these movies. Mm-hmm. And I was, don't tell me. Okay. I was trying to remember what year Elliot was born. And I think it was 2016. Is that right? Yeah. So... The Force Awakens came out 2015. Mm-hmm. I assume you saw it in the theater. Yes. Because you were you are a human being and you were alive then. Yes. And I didn't and, have a child to get in my way. And everyone saw that movie in the theater. Yeah. Um, then you had Elliot. And then Last Jedi was 2017. And Rise of Skywalker was 2019. So I'm curious because I don't remember if I ever knew. Did you see those in the theater? I saw all of them in the theaters. It was very important for me to see them in the theater because, you know, those movies you can only, like, really see in the theater, I like, once. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Unless yeah. it's, you know, them re-releasing the original trilogy when I was, like, 10. Right. Um, but I didn't see them right away. So I forget when exactly we saw The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other two we saw, like, maybe a week or two weeks after they came out, which is like later than I would have preferred. And I could be misspeaking and Blake will correct me, Mm. but I'm fairly certain that we saw the last Jedi on Christmas and my mom Uh, watched Elliot and we like booked it. Yeah. Um, That's perfectly believable. If it wasn't that one, it was like 
Rogue One or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think it was that one. Both believable. The only thing you could have said wrong in that situation was you could have said it was Solo. Yes. To which I would have said that was the one they released in summer. And Solo is the only one that I haven't seen the whole way through because we st- that one we did not make it to see in theaters. And then when it was available to us, we started watching it and got bored. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> you really played that the right way. <laughs> Um, so uh, you can add anything you want to as far as your baseline for this topic, but uh, I am curious, do you have a favorite Star Wars movie? I'm thinking really hard right now. I actually think it might be The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. It's also kind of the weirdest one. Yeah. In a not sloppy way, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because I think maybe nine is the weirdest, in, but in a really sloppy way. <laughs> right. Um, and, but if I'm picking, it makes more sense to me, I feel like, to pick one out of each trilogy. And um, clearly three is my favorite out of the first, because who can say no to you and McGregor saying, you were the chosen one, I loved you. We agree on this. I know that this is not a popular opinion, but I do actually think I like Return of the Jedi best. Yeah, uh, and I've heard of some people with that opinion. Um, I think uh, sometimes it's due to age, you know, when you were born. Mm -hmm. Like if that was the first one you saw in theaters or something, obviously we're younger than that. Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty much any opinion I think you could offer is justifiable in one way or another. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, I think eight is my favorite of the third, but I think it might be my favorite overall. Like today I, I only had a chance, it's been a weird week. And so I only had a chance to rewatch one of them before this episode, before this, yeah, yeah, this episode. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I got confused about the word episode for a second. Episode one, episode, yeah. <laughs> um, before this episode of the podcast. Right. And um, I, I picked eight. Um, mm-hmm. And I sent you a picture, like, just weeping, and I, I just wept through most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, I, w- just very briefly, I feel like eight does a lot for thinking about grief and how we're supposed to stand up to grief and how we're supposed to process um, trauma and intimate connections. Right. Um, which is something that, which is why I, a lot of the parts of those, that trilogy that I love people hate. And I love it specifically because I'm looking at it through this very specific lens of like, how are we supposed to form intimate connections when we're, we're ex- when we've experienced like really extreme trauma mm-hmm. um, in ways that are healthy Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's a lot of words for Star Wars. <laughs> no, that's good. And I'm glad that you chose to take a moment to talk about, like, what you see that particular movie being about philosophically, because I think that might be the area where I have the least to say mm-hmm. uh, in what I've prepared uh, in my thinking. I rewatched Seven, Eight, and Nine in the past week. Um, I've seen them, you know, 
the number of times that is appropriate for how long each of them has been out. I, yeah, it was same. only the second time I've seen Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And it, I've seen Force Awakens several times. Last Jedi somewhere in the middle. I agree with you that The Last Jedi is the strongest of those three. Mm-hmm. And those are the three we're going to talk about. But real quick, just for context, I want to give you my opinion on the original Star Wars trilogy, which is broad stroke. Those movies seem great. I would love to see them someday. That's my opinion. That's why I'm not going to rank all the movies, even though I think I could. My point being, I was born in 1990. Like you, I, I have been denied the experience of watching those three movies the way people got to when they were new and when they were in the theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, the special editions are all they want me to watch. Yeah. And I think that those are tarnished enough that I feel like I do not have the experience to really weigh in on those three original films. The closest I've gotten was an, and we talked about this uh, when it happened. I saw the despecialized edition of the original Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But even that is, you know, it's made by the fans, it's not sanctioned, it's not official, it's just the best that some really dedicated outsiders could do to approximate the real thing. I know that the quality isn't as high, but I had a set of VHSs that had the original pre-special effects Star Wars on them. Mm -hmm. So I guess in, and I watched those, you know, all the time when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. because when they were then being re-released in the theaters, I was already very familiar with the movies. Yep. And I was a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess in my head now, when I watch the special editions, I you know, de special effects them myself because right. I just remember the way it was. And so I'm, yeah. I, it's like, oh, this shouldn't be here. You know, it's not like I'm like, so I guess like I don't have that problem in the same way that you do, but I also mm-hmm. don't know, like, did you not, did you, when, did, like, what, what, do you understand my question? <laughs> I think you're, I think you're asking, how did, did you I, encounter them? Yeah. It, it's one of those things where uh, I think I just sort of, it, it, it's it's almost Jungian, like yes, yeah, I don't I don't me. remember I I did not have the experience of like these were my favorite things to watch on tape, and so I watched them over and over again. It was like mm-hmm. no, I like never intentionally sat down to watch any of those movies, primarily because they were old, and I was mo- just young. mostly interested. I was young and mostly <laughs> interested in like whatever new cartoon there was Mm -hmm. um i I just sort of knew star wars and most of the references that you know are commonly made Mm -hmm. until the new movies were coming out and then i was very careful to watch them all but i could only watch them in 
you know, the state that okay. they're in when yeah. they're widely available. Now, of course, we're not also we're, we haven't been talking about the prequels, which, of course, did come out during our childhood and our adolescence. And I did see in theaters all of them. And, and so did I. Yeah. Uh, and so I do have, you know, specific experiences of watching those movies. Um, and I remember when Phantom Menace came out, I guess I was nine and I got toys. I think I had a toy Jar Jar. Did you I'm have sh- the... the no, I don't think I had a tongue-centric uh, Jar Jar toy. Do you thank, know what I'm talking thank about, God. though? Yes, I do. The can it was candy specifically. The yeah. lollipop that you Thing. suck on, what you yeah, suck on that. is Jar Jar's At tongue. Yeah, uh, very good. I'm sure that I had a toy Watto, uh, and uh, I remember it being pretty big. But I, I was just a kid, so maybe another another joke I made recently that made Kenny laugh was Elliot and him were reading Where's Waldo, and Elliot mm. El- Elliot mispronounced it. And he's like, "Where's Watto, Papa?" And I was like, hey, uh. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny yeah. started laughing. He was like, that was good. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just don't do it too well. And not in public. <laughs> the only other baseline thing I want to say, when you said it was almost like Jungian, like it was just sort of there. Right. Um, is that one of my earliest memories is watching episode five. And having Leia kiss Luke and my dad going, ooh, she's, she's kissing her brother or he's kissing his sister. Yeah. And me being like, what? And, you know, basically fuck my dad. (laughs) Right. Um, And so because of this, I am very, we have very specifically, even though Elliot knows about Star Wars and has like seen, knows some of the characters and stuff, we are very specifically waiting until he is old enough to show him episode four that he will actually remember the plot. And then my plan is to slowly show him the movies. So like over a few, not like one a year or something like that where he's like five and then like 14 or something, but you know, every maybe like four months Mm -hmm. because I want him to actually comprehend it as if he had not, as if he, as closely to him having never seen them before as he can sure already knowing who bb8 is right and and holding up r2d2 and going i'm r2d2 and me being Mm -hmm. like oh you're gonna be so disappointed (laughs) yeah that's different yeah well i look forward to learning uh how that goes if it goes according to your plan yes um so uh now i'm gonna tell a little story that is my version of what happened to set the stage for The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. And uh, whether this is completely true or accurate, I don't really care. Uh, It's just my understanding of the situation. Uh, I want to let you know right now that my brother is hands on the phone. Yes. Getting ready to message me corrections. (laughs) Blake, yes, I look forward to... Blake's mailbag segment. Um, Liz, if you think you understand this uh, differently than how I'm going to lay it out, then uh, let me know. I probably don't, but go on. So uh, Disney gets Star Wars. They're going to make new Star Wars. They want the original cast back and they get them. 
they get Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford all on board. But one of the three uh, has a condition. And it is Harrison Ford who agrees to come back on the condition. I will do one movie, Mm. not three new movies. I'll do the first one. And you have to kill Han Solo. I want to, I want Han Solo to die. I want him to have a good death. I want his story to be complete. And I want to, you know, play his death. Which is actually a fair, I think, request. Fair and, in my opinion, ruinous. (laughs) Uh, To be clear, really, really quickly, I want to be clear. I'm going to say this about each of the movies. I like Force Awakens. I enjoy watching it. It, 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 I also think it's flawed. Mm -hmm. It has some stuff that I really like. And the reason I have put so much thought into this is probably because I so badly want more of the things that I like in it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, and that's why it just like nags at my brain. And that's why I wanted to do this episode because I've I've done just so much like turning these movies over in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like what could they have done differently to, sa- to possibly satisfy me more? Mm-hmm. So um, the reason I think that the Harrison Ford condition was ruinous was because it seems to, it seems, and I think this may be on record, um, not just my speculation, that uh, their response to that creatively, and I'm going to talk about these movies, mostly just about the writing of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm talking about them as written, uh, the stories that they tell, As far as the other things you could critique in a movie, like, I think everyone in these movies is good to Mm -hmm. great. Um, No one could have been cast better. There's no mannequin Skywalker. I would go as far to say. Uh, And uh, I'm not going to complain about the look of the movies in any way. I think they're pretty visually stunning, especially uh, Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when they uh, needed to meet uh, Harrison Ford's condition, they made the decision, okay, well, if Han's going to die in the first one, then we need to spotlight Han over Luke and Leia mm-hmm. in the first movie. If we do that, then by extension of that, in order to make sure that no one's ego is bruised, we need to make it so that the second movie is Luke's movie mm-hmm. and the third movie is Leia's movie. Yeah. Devastating. Now, now obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, I can't I can't hear that phrase anymore. <laughs> it's twenty twenty one. It hurts too much. You have to get <laughs> Get over that. It's a, it's it's half a year later. Uh-huh. Um, this, I guess uh, when they made that creative decision, of all the people, all the stakeholders who were involved in making and approving that decision, I guess not one of them was doing a sort of risk analysis 
that might have assessed which one of these three senior citizens mm-hmm. was clearly most likely to die first. I I would have guessed Harrison Ford. Okay, well, Harrison Ford didn't write a book called Wishful Drinking, as far as I know. <laughs> I know, and I know she also did a lot of cocaine. So, uh, obviously, that's very easy for me to say uh, in, mm-hmm. in 2021, but I, f- I feel like the point still remains and counts for a little something. Yeah. Regardless of that, regardless of what would end up happening, even from the jump, the implication and the side effect of that creative decision is that the band is never getting back together, Mm -hmm. which is something that probably a lot of the audience wants to see happen Mm -hmm. and just implicitly expects to happen because we know they're all coming back and it's new Star Wars. Yeah. So what I don't mean to say is that they had to do what they did differently. I'm not putting my foot down and saying they they should they they must not have done what they did, mm-hmm. which is never reunite Han and Luke and Leia. But what I will offer is that if they were if since they did what they did yeah all i want them to do in addition to what they did is acknowledge like way more yeah that that reunion is never going to happen and that mm-hmm. that in and of itself is kind of tragic yeah so that gets See me- what i'm saying about grief? Yes, right. That's that's a big part of it. So that brings me to talking about the stakes of The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Plot-wise, what is it supposed to be about? Ostensibly, according to the crawl and the beginning of the movie, almost half of it, mm-hmm. what it is about is Luke Skywalker has gone missing and the stakes are who will find him first, the good guys or the bad guys. That, that sounds like a pretty cool premise for like a, however many years later sequel Mm -hmm. to star Wars. I think it's 30 by the way. I'm on board. I'm not against that. I think you're right. Thank you. Uh, Because I looked at the Wikipedia today. (laughs) Very good. Um, and now I'm just thinking, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about the scene in Rise of Skywalker where they, uh, land on the third different desert planet, uh, (laughs) where they find the big festival happening and C-3PO says it happens once every 42 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm just thinking about that now. So I can't focus on what I was trying to say. Um, (laughs) this is why we were writing majors, not math majors, right? Right. And and this is this is why I didn't take any notes. And I mm-hmm. I thought I'm just going to keep all this in my head and see what happens. <laughs> um, which is going to be in contrast with my next episode, because I'm taking copious notes on every new episode of The Handmaid's Tale. 
And so literally, I'm just going to read them. Um, <laughs> it's going to take a while. You're, you're going to, are you, are you writing them on that old computer paper that was all connected? <laughs> yeah, it's just one long, <laughs> yeah, just like, like a strong dad's, you know, <laughs> printout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So getting back to um, uh, what uh, the stakes are in Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. The the movie, in my opinion, uh, sort of loses the plot uh, somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, and it's and it's right when they're at Maz Kanata's cantina, mm-hmm. and they basically have everything they need to accomplish their goal. They have BB-8, and they have the means of getting it back to the Resistance base. BB-8 has the map to Luke Skywalker. And then at that moment, conveniently, the First Order reveals we have a mega Death Star and uh, it can blow up five planets simultaneously. And we are using it to uh, basically destroy the galactic uh, government. And what is it called again? The uh, Starkiller Base. Starkiller Base, which I guess was originally what they wanted to call the Death Star or something like that. No, it's a reference to Luke Skywalker's name was originally That's what it Luke was. Starkiller. That's uh, what it was. George Lucas's like first draft or something yeah. like that. So anyway, uh, then the stakes of the movie change uh, and sort of uh, like kind of boil down to uh, can the good guys dis- destroy the bad guy's weapon before it destroys them? Uh, and th- that's the familiar. Sort of, that's yes, very familiar. That's the big picture, you know, action. And then there's like the character level stakes, which are like, is Ray going to stop running away and trying to go home and accept that she's on this adventure for mm-hmm. good? Um, and, uh, is Han Solo going to be able to bring his son home? Is Kylo Ren going to stray farther, uh, towards the dark side or, or come back to the light? Um, which is explicitly struggling with. Right. And whatever Finn Finn and Poe are doing, blah, blah, blah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm making it. I know. I, I I feel like Poe is more tangential here. Yeah, Poe um, doesn't have an arc because Poe was like supposed to die. Yeah, how could you kill Oscar Isaac though? He's so good looking. I think that may be the reason they <laughs> didn't kill him. Was uh, like they wrote this character, he dies in the desert. Then they cast Oscar Isaac, and they were like, "Oh, maybe he oh, comes shit. back. Maybe he lives. <laughs> maybe he's like the third lead." Um, but Finn is dealing. Yeah, Finn, if when we're looking at it through grief, which which is how I'm just going to be thinking about it like and trauma like finn is like the new soldier yeah and so he has broken away and so he is in a similar way to ray um uh, unhoused he mm-hmm. is he is without a home and without a family and yeah. so the way that each of them deal with that situation is what is interesting to me I was making a joke, but now you have dragged me into talking <laughs> talking about Finn's arc in a serious way. So uh, real quick, um, Finn's arc in the first movie, to me, it, it, it gets a little muddy. But I think what it's supposed to be or should be is that when we meet him, 
He is uh, someone who just wants to run away. Mm-hmm. He is just out for his own survival. He will do anything except for kill innocent people mm-hmm. in order to survive. And since he's supposed to kill innocent people, he has to run in order to survive. Um, so uh, he goes from like, that's pretty selfish, but also he's noble enough to be one of our heroes. It's an interesting dynamic of both selfishness and morality, which I find very interesting. <laughs> well, and this is where I think it gets kind of muddy because mm-hmm. I think they want us to, what once Finn meets Ray. I think they want us to sort of hold two things in our head at the same time, which aren't necessarily contradictory, but it Mm. feels like it's very unclear which one you're supposed to prioritize. And the two things are, one, he uh, wants to rescue Ray because he's a good person, which Mm -hmm. we know he is because he won't kill people. And the other is... He wants to help Ray because he uh, is attracted to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want the arc to be is that he's just good enough to not kill innocent people. Um, <laughs> he is just out for his own survival. Therefore, he just wants to run away and hide mm-hmm. until he meets Ray, who he is so drawn to at first romantically mm-hmm. that uh he the the sort of where he ends up in his arc of this just this first movie is there's something he will put above his own survival mm-hmm. and that is one other person who he wants to run away with who he wants yeah. to bring along with him that's enough of an arc that it neatly fits into one movie but also gives him more room to grow in the next two movies. Yeah. Um, so real quick, uh, I want to nitpick a couple of things and then yeah. get, get back to the larger point that I was trying to make. Um, first thing I want to nitpick is after Finn escapes, and I believe it is Kylo Ren and Hux talking to one another, Kylo Ren taunting Hux about Finn uh, deserting, mm-hmm. saying maybe uh, Supreme Leader should have uh, used a clone army. And Hux insists, all our stormtroopers were like child soldiers. Like yes. we have conditioned them from birth. Uh, and they were stolen from and, their homes. And we have a stranglehold over them. Now, that's very scary. And, yes. and it is just like fascists to do. So I understand the First Order are the bad guys and they're supposed to be very scary. Mm-hmm. I understand why they did that. However, don't do that. <laughs> Write it differently because <laughs> the alternative is writing a totally different character for Finn. Yeah. Because Finn does not once behave like someone who has been in that system since he, for as long as he can remember. Ah, and he's been, and he's been conditioned to like, he was a child soldier, basically. Mm-hmm. I know he worked sanitation and I know when he doesn't fire his gun, that was his first ever like combat mission. 
or whatever. So maybe he wasn't literally a child soldier, but like he's supposed to be, he was abducted, abducted when he was a little kid and the first order is all he remembers. Mm -hmm. And the way he behaves is, I think it's uh, one line that is indicative of his whole personality is when he says to BB-8, droid, please. <laughs> like, that's his whole vibe. It is not a, like, I was abducted as a kid. And, yeah. Uh, th- and have you have you seen she- the new She-Ra? No. The new She-Ra has, I mean, Adora, who's She-Ra, and then Katra, who were both sort of, like, raised from children, from babies, in a similar situation. Um, I'd be curious to see your opinions on the way they behave versus Finn, because it is it is like a one to one in terms of this weird situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my fix for that is keep the Finn character as is, but just don't make it that all the stormtroopers were abducted as kids and raised to be stormtroopers for the past, I don't know, 20 years or something. Yeah. Which, by the way, how old is Hux? Uh, he <laughs> seems pretty young. Um, just make just make it that Finn was poor and joined the army, but he joined the wrong army because mm-hmm. there's a whole galaxy of armies, and the one that was available to him turned out to be the fascist one. <laughs> yeah. So of course he wants out like as soon as he got in. Mm-hmm. Um, that also I think would kill two birds with one stone because I also want to see I really for God's sake I want to see the first order be something a little different from the empire yeah you know um, they are just you know uh, I was said I wasn't going to critique the visuals but this is sort of related just in in the way that it looks in the all the styling um, all the you know dynamics, um, power, and the characters. It's just it's just the Empire again, but yeah. it's by a different name. I would like to see it like the First Order is like you know they're trying to be that, but it's like they're rising to power from you know relatively nothing, almost nothing, mm-hmm. and so it's like got more of like a startup feel to it. So it's like. I don't know. It's like a startup the, feel. It's like the evil rebellion, right? Like, yeah, there is a gov- there there is a republic in place. Like the first order is the rebellion in this mm-hmm. situation. So so make them kind of scrappy, ragtag, but evil. Yes, mm-hmm. ragtag. Open floor plan, bean bags. Perhaps the first order would be something of a joke or not too great a concern, except there's this guy Snoke who makes it seem like they have the Sith on their side. It's not just some fascist terrorists. It's it's like the dark side of the force. And he's tempted, you know, uh, Han and Leia's kid. And so now they take it so seriously that they need to find Luke before Kylo Ren finds Luke. And Snoke is also sort of the scariest because he's Uh, deformed in a way that looks like he's been very deeply injured. And the first time he shows up in that movie, he's fucking enormous. Right. It's a hologram. But one of the questions after that movie was how big is he actually? Do you remember this conversation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember it. 
Um, which I just bring up because it wasn't like they were like that. You know, hypothetically, it's just like, oh, he's a bad guy, and they but they were like, how can we amp this up? And the answer was make him look like he has really been through some shit and make him enormous. And it worked. It was very scary to see. Yeah, yeah, it was very cool. It was a cool character design. Andy Circus is great. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's always great. Um, watched 13 going on 30 recently he's great <laughs> playing a different sort of character but yeah great in no motion movie. capture for that one unlike no, most of his rules just <laughs> rules. full just full real life face <laughs> um so uh my, 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 part of my point being wouldn't it be sort of more interesting if part of the story of the first movie was the the order of the day is the the republic rules the galaxy um Therefore, the resistance, what if they sort of underestimated the First Order? Yeah. And that might give them a reason why they are taken by surprise mm-hmm. when there's suddenly a Star Killer base and yeah. it, it kills the whole, you know, Republic government. Like real quick. Uh, like that whole planetary system. It's like, oh, okay, well, we, we weren't taking this seriously enough. Mm-hmm. Um because they look a little bit different from the, they're a little less threatening in appearance than, than Mm -hmm. the empire we remember. Um, The other thing. Okay. So, so I nitpicked the child soldier thing and the star killer base being a surprise thing. Okay. Here's the other thing I want to nitpick. If someone in real life were to go missing, Mm -hmm. how would you expect to find them? I feel like this question isn't fair because there's not space. Uh, okay. <laughs> it feels difficult and amorphous when there's space. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, but say it's not real life. Okay. And say it is science fiction and someone goes missing in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. How would you try and find them and how would you expect to be successful. I mean, I guess ask around, go to the places they had been before. Right. Um, if you're maybe sensitive to the force and you have a fraternal twin brother, maybe use that to your advantage. That could help, definitely. <laughs> Though we we let find out later why that probably didn't work, but I don't re- Oh, because he closed himself off to the force. Right. Okay. So, uh, they thought of everything. Um <laughs> my my point being that ostensibly what they are searching for is a person. Yes. Not a place. Mm-hmm. I would not expect the solution to be a map. Mm-mm-mm-mm. What does it even mean for there to be a map to a person's location? People can move around. Yeah. I'm not as bothered by that just because it sort of established in the canon that that's a thing that happens is that people get hidden away on maps that are missing and then they stay there because there's no way to find them or track them if they're on a map that doesn't exist. I didn't follow that at all. (laughs) But um, Wait, you didn't follow what I just said? Not really. Okay, so... um, when the uh oh what planet is it i've been watching bad batch so i said no the like people that are like with their necks and the clones Mm. 
Oh, uh, yes. From from Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Yeah. That planet is off of the map. And right. Obi-Wan's like, I'm looking for this planet, but it's not anywhere. And they're like, the you know, the younglings are like, maybe you just need to think about the way that gravity works let or whatever. Me, let, me, let me try to uh, frame this differently. Okay. Here's what they say in the movie. Okay. We don't know where Luke Skywalker is, mm-hmm. but there exists a map to him. Where do you think he is? Well, Han Solo says, there are a lot of rumors. Those of us who knew him best think that he probably went to find like the oldest Jedi temple. Mm-hmm. The first one. Right. So, uh, one, um, that's that just turns out to be correct. Mm-hmm. And two, so my point is, here's what they don't say. Mm-hmm. They don't say Luke disappeared. We believe he exiled himself to the first Jedi temple. He found it. He's the only one who knows where it is. We're trying to find that place in order to find him. Mm. We have a lead on a map to that place. That makes more sense to me than we don't know where he is. He could be anywhere in the galaxy. There are a lot of rumors about where he could have ended (laughs) up. About our best friend and brother. (laughs) We have a theory but the theory isn't really related to the lead that we're chasing. Mm-hmm. The lead that we're chasing is a map to him. It's not a map to the first Jedi. I mean, it is technically a map <laughs> to the first Jedi temple, but that's not what they call it. Uh-huh. They call it a map to Luke. Yeah. It's I, just I not the way you go about tracking down a missing person. And I don't even get nuance. me started. Don't even get me started. On how BB-8 is given the map, which then turns out to be a piece of the map, uh-huh. so that when BB-8 gets back to the resistance base, the map is only partial, therefore the problem of where Luke is isn't solved yet until they have the other piece, and then it's only once all the other conflicts are resolved that we get back to what the story was supposed to be about, and oh, the other part of the map, R2-D2 had it all along and he was sleeping and now he just woke up. C-3PO says, what do you mean you found it? And then <laughs> R2-D2 projects a very large portion of the map and then BB-8 projects his portion and it is small and it fits into R2-D2's like a puzzle piece. And how do you... Like, how do you need both pieces of... It's practically two-dimensional. Like, the way they realize it visually, it might as well be paper on a table instead of a hologram projection. I can understand if it was like, maps in space need to be in three dimensions. There's a Mm -hmm. third axis. And so a map would be like the size of this room. And so maybe R2-D2 has like this region of the galaxy 
but BB-8 has the specific point within that region. But instead, they just fit together like puzzle pieces. And there's like a line like on a treasure map that <laughs> that gets cut off by the missing piece and then continues in the missing piece. And there's like an X marks the spot. And it's like, how did you like it? It does not make sense to me that you need both. Yeah. And also, <laughs> by the way, um, Ray sees it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Kylo Ren gets Ray and gives up on getting BB-8 because he's like, well, Ray's seen I'll it. I'll just break into her brain. So I can read her mind. And he's cocky and confident he can do that. Well, and he's done he, it before. Even if he w- did do it, what she saw was incomplete. Mm-hmm. So doesn't he need the rest? And so he says a line which is the most bullshit throwaway line in the whole movie. He says something that doesn't make any sense. Like we have the rest of the map in the Imperial archives or something like that. Uh-huh. And so I just need the piece that's in your mind. It, it like the, it is so convoluted. There has to be a better way, right? Yeah. I like, guess like, I guess because example, it was sort of convoluted, I just was like, suspension of disbelief. I don't know how these maps work when the space is this big. And it would make sense to me that Luke Skywalker would essentially cut part of a map out so and delete it from everywhere. But he would want somebody to be able to find him, maybe. So he leaves that with know, R2. In, a, in a place. Yeah. yeah. And then... Um, you know, because of this, because these records are things that can be copied because they have computers that Kylo would have a copy of it somewhere and just not be able to, because space is so big, pinpoint it. But I absolutely take your point. It's just one of those things where I will not, I will not put emotional interest in it to it because it's not interesting to me. (laughs) What you just said was interesting, but when I'm actually watching the movie... I understand I understand suspension of disbelief and I understand filling in some gaps and, and having a little bit of headcanon. Um, but the reason I get worked up about it is, and this is what I intend this whole episode to be about, yeah. is that there is a, an alternate version of this movie uh-huh. that could have existed uh-huh. where they just wrote a better alternative yeah. Like, I don't know, for example, there is a person who knows where the first Jedi temple is and could lead them to Luke Skywalker. And maybe that person is Rey. Or or it's yeah, I I'm I was imagining like it's like it's Max von Sydow, you know. Um it's someone who is strong enough in force sensitivity that uh you know, the first order can't just, I think the reason why they didn't write it that way was they were like, we want Kylo Ren to be this incredibly strong, you know, almost a Sith Lord. So if a person knew he would just read their mind and, and it would be done. Yeah. And he would have no trouble forcing his way in to get what he wants. Cause mm-hmm. that's his whole thing. I mean, that was, that's his whole, like, not shtick, but like, I almost said appeal, Jesus. His whole, <laughs> his whole. His M.O. Oro, aura. Okay. Is that 
he is not just a bad boy mm-hmm. and he's not just evil, yeah. but he's on the edge. Which is why mm-hmm. when we the first thing we see of him is his lightsaber, which looks unstable as shit. Yeah. Um. So, like, regardless of how lightsabers work, blah, blah, blah. Like, his lightsaber looks janky and it looks like it could burst at any moment. And we know that with evil, like, there has to be control. And so here's this evil that seems like it doesn't have that. By talking about his lightsaber, you have reminded me of what I hope will be the tiniest, briefest nitpick that I offer today, which is I hate Kylo Ren's ship. I think the design is stupid. (laughs) What are the wings for? Why are they so big? Um, Okay, so I'm keeping my... Blake's going to send us like three paragraphs just on that. Whatever you could say about that, it is not in the movies, my friend. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on the time. We have to move on to the next movie, but not before I make my point Mm -hmm. about The Force Awakens, which is when the movie comes out, nobody knows how it's going to be. There's a lot riding on it. It's the first new Star Wars in a long time. Mm -hmm. And the last time we had new Star Wars, it was the prequels. Yeah. So my take is that star wars is such a big deal and looms so large in our culture that there is only one thing that the force awakens could be about in any meaningful way and that is star wars yeah and the stakes of the movie should be clearly can we do star wars again Mm -hmm. and how that would manifest is literally can we get Luke, Han, and Leia together again? Mm-hmm. I don't mind if you kill uh, uh, Han Solo. But when that happens in the movie, there should be a clear acknowledgement that part of the tragedy of what is happening here mm-hmm. is that we we will never have that trio back together again. Instead, I think what they did is they decided, well, if we need to kill Han Solo, then it's Han movie, Luke movie, Leia movie. People are going to want to see them all together again. We're going to give them something else. And we are going to give it to them in such a way that they will forget that they wanted that or that they expected it. They will yeah. fall in love with these new characters They will be invested in the stakes of will Kylo Ren be good or evil. It's it's going to be a big deal for that reason that Han gets killed. And um, I just want them to tell a story about if you want to be more philosophical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be it would be about nostalgia, and yeah. it would be about how to move forward in a healthy way, uh, acknowledging the past. So you have on one side you have Ray, who one of the best things in the movie is when she meets Han Solo and she knows who Han Solo is, mm-hmm. and she's like. The Jedi, like, the, the, like, this is all like legendary. And Han Solo was like, 
it's all real, baby. So Ray is like a dyed in the wool, like true believer. Like us, like grew up on the prequels. Probably mm-hmm. she probably loves the prequels. She loves it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kylo Ren represents the like toxic masculinity of like I was betrayed by this once, therefore burn it all down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it. it so I think that shifts slightly by the end of the next movie, but yeah, I, I'm, I absolutely I'm talking see about what you're Force. Saying. I'm talking about Force yeah. Awakens now. But I think that that I think that that answer stays the same, but the yeah reasoning shifts. By the way, Finn is somewhere in the middle, and Finn mm-hmm. Finn represents like a fair weather fan of Star Wars. Um, and so you have these sort of competing philosophies. Mm-hmm. It should be the mission of the good guys to find Luke Skywalker and in doing so bring back Star Wars by reuniting our old heroes. And the bad guy's goal should be blow up Star Wars because uh, I feel abandoned by it Mm -hmm. Um, in the way that, you know, a lot of uh, trolls do. Uh, And uh, ultimately... I'm I'm not saying, well, they should have brought them all back together again and the movie is bad because they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. They should tell a story about how, you know, the the resolution to that conflict is you you do neither. Like you you have to accept that that was then and this is now and you cannot resurrect the past. Mm-hmm. But you can have a new, different Star Wars. You can you can move on uh, and not have the same thing that you used to have, but have something different. Uh, and it uh, uses what what was uh, you know it, it respects mm-hmm. it respects the past rather than just trying to ignore it. Or destroy it, tear it down, like Kylo Ren would do. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what Force Awakens was supposed to be about, I think, or mm-hmm. should have been about. Moving, moving on. We got two more movies to talk about. We can do it. Last Jedi. Um, I have less to say about what this movie could have been about philosophically or stakes wise, because as I said, I think this movie is the best of the three. Uh, I really like it. We're we'll... gonna talk about the 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 pacing. Mm. That is one thing. Uh, okay. That's not how I was gonna frame it, but since you brought it up, I think you might be referring to the fact that this is the longest Star Wars movie. No, that's not what I was gonna say at all. I was assuming that maybe you were referring to the fact that the last—I don't know exactly how long it is, but it, I don't know—thirty-ish minutes. Um, feel kind of weird because uh, it seems like the movie should have ended already. No, I wasn't going to mention that either. Okay, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a case for like ditching that ending. And I I don't mean to make a case that it is too long. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's one flaw of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. 
is that that I, when I say last 30 minutes, I'm referring to when they get down to the salt planet. Yeah. Everything from there to the end. Mm-hmm. That stuff is good, really good, and I like it. But the asterisk on that mm-hmm. is that it is not better than the Holdo maneuver, mm-hmm. which we already saw. Yeah, for sure. The, the Holdo maneuver and everything leading up to it and the aftermath of it, that's the coolest, most exciting, most interesting part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens that the way that it's written, Luke is not in that part. Um, and uh, so it's it's sort of a flaw of the movie that it doesn't continue rising uh, in my opinion, all mm-hmm. the way to the end, um, it kind of peaks too early and then goes on with stuff that is good, but not as good. The The thing I was going to say, because I've already sort of given you my sort of philosophical thought on this, mm-hmm. is that the reason this movie is so weird and also one of those things that makes it both like the strength and the weakness at the same time, which you've sort of brought up yeah. in your own way is that every other Star Wars movie takes place over some time. Yeah, right. It takes place over a few weeks. It takes place over maybe a few months. Right. Um, You know, this movie takes place in 24 hours. Right. Um, You know, they, we know that they have like 18 hours of fuel after the movie starts. Right. Um, and so we know that it, you know, let's say it takes 24 hours. And that's weird. For a yeah. Star Wars movie. That's mm-hmm. very fucking weird. Yeah. Um, especially when the last movie... Because there's also jumps in between the movies and times. And there's different jumps depending on what's happening. But like the last movie, it was a 30-year jump. And now we're... we're there. The jump is like maybe, you know, Finn's still in a coma at the be- very beginning. So it's been some time, but not super long. Right. And then, you know, the next movie after that is one year later. Right. Um, and so it's weird, especially because these characters, part of the way that these characters can develop in the other movies is that we have some time, some breathing space between the movies where things have happened. And maybe we don't need to exactly see what has happened, but we get a sense that it's happened. Whereas with this, it's like the character development is like directly from the last moment we saw in the last movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it makes it super weird. And I think that that is part of what makes this movie good, but also part of why I think when people first saw it initially, they were like, because when people first saw this movie, they were like, what? A lot? There's a lot of like, what? And I feel like that was a huge part of it that people really couldn't get their thumb on right away. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. And I think you're absolutely right. I would offer that um, if something uh, seems off about this movie, and the way that Red Letter Media, do you know Red Letter Media? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the the way that they talk about this that I think of a lot is that is that they might say, you didn't notice it, but your brain did. Um, and, and as more I think about those movies, the more I'm trying to get to the bottom of like, what did I pick up on without thinking about it? Mm-hmm. Um, what what do I need to put my finger on in order to identify like why something feels off about this? Oh, and- which one more thing that feels off is that 
it seems like Ray is with Luke for a few days at that's, least. Yeah, that's definitely true. She, but it, we know that there's 18 hours. That that part doesn't make sense. Continue. Right. No, no, <laughs> you, yeah, absolutely. The, similar um, to what you're saying, what what I'm going to say is that I think what makes this movie feel off, or the way I was going to frame it was. What seems really strange to me on paper about this mm-hmm. movie is that Luke never leaves the island and no one else ever shows up to the island. Mm-hmm. It is weird that the bad guys never, ever find him. Yeah. Like that seems like a no brainer that that is what would happen, that eventually Kylo Ren would track him down and, you know, there would be a showdown on the island. Yeah. Um, so, uh, real, uh, so, so real quick, after uh, the climax of The Force Awakens, everything goes by really quickly um, and wraps up, uh, or it gives the appearances of wrapping up very neatly. I thought about this maybe for the first time today. Mm-hmm. I feel like they don't justify that uh, once they know where to find Luke, uh, they send Ray, Chewbacca, and R2-D2 in the Falcon, and that's it. Yeah. And everyone else stays put, including Leia. Um, I would lo- I would lo- just love a, even just a line of dialogue <laughs> justifying that decision. Um, oh, I-, I feel like I have that in my brain. Yeah. Where because because Luke and Ray have a whole conversation where he keeps being like, "Why did they send you? Who are you? Why did they send you?" Yeah. Where he says it like over and over again, and basically she finally says like, "So I don't think Leia can come because she needs to run the army." Yeah. But I think which I think is implicit, right? Like, yeah. I, I, um, I, but I think I, I think that. Ray goes because Leia has a feeling about her. Yeah. Is what she says to mm-hmm. uh, Luke eventually. Yeah. I guess I wish that that was a little more explicit between. Which is totally fair. Between both movies. Because it, it, in my opinion, I I don't know. It, it doesn't seem easily justifiable that the idea that Leia might have more important business mm-hmm. when, when a it's Luke and she's Leia and B the whole first movie was supposed to be like about like the future of the galaxy is riding on getting Luke Skywalker back into the fight. And so mm-hmm. what does Leia have to do? That's more important than that. Um. Anyway, but I understand. I understand why they did what they did. I just don't think that they justify it. Because what else are che- and then what else are Chewbacca and R two D two going to do? Also, I guess in my head, I thought like, well, how will he trust Ray unless he has some sort of mm-hmm. like? Oh yeah, card. that part's great. Yeah, I-, I have no problems with Chewbacca. Chewbacca. I have no problem <laughs> with che- Chewbacca and R two D two being there. Um, I just had an issue with like, why why isn't Leia? And there could be others too. Uh, there. More importantly, 
I want to say something uh, good about The Last Jedi. I, I could go on and on, but there's something specific I want to single out because I think this is me and and my brain talking um perhaps not uh popular opinion it starts with the uh bombing run on the dreadnought yes. mm-hmm. uh i really like this part i really I like too. it as the beginning um and it helped me realize uh my uh I, I just a, a a take i have that you could apply across Star Wars in general um, is uh, dogfights greater than symbol, greater than symbol, greater than symbol, on and on and on. Sword fights. Mm-hmm. I like the, you know, World War II fighter pilot, you know, in the cockpit, mm-hmm. uh, X-Wing TIE fighter uh, action uh, more than uh, any of the lightsaber duels. I would say that I agree with you with one major exception, which is in this movie. <laughs> which is the, the throne room fight? It's, it's every, when I actually saw that in theaters, I was like, just mouth open. Like, I just wanted to scream. It looks so cool, first off. Yeah. It looks incredible. But also like, the moment of like the emotional moment that you reach there, especially when you don't know what's going to happen next. So you have no idea. You're just right. seeing the emotional moment for itself. Yeah. I was like losing my goddamn mind. And that's again, that's the one I watched today. And Kenny, com- you know, Kenny and I both completely stopped what we were doing. It's like 30 seconds. That first sort of, you know, moment where it like sort of goes like beat, beat back to back go. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we just completely stopped watch whatever we were doing and just like stared. If right. I could see only that scene in theaters again, I would go. I would pay money just for that like two minutes. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, it's a really great scene. Uh, it's a real standout. It's so good. I wish it were perfectly honed. I owe what I'm about to say to one of Red Letter Media's videos. I never mm-hmm. would have had this thought were it not for them showing it to me. Um, There are so many of those red guys uh, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the fight. Um, It is a kind of, um, you are supposed to keep your eye on the center of the action, Kylo and Ray. And there are one or maybe two of those red guys who, if you singled them out and just focused your attention on them, um, you would not be that impressed with that scene. And I thought you were going to tell me they looks... were like, and like ran away. No, there's just <laughs> can like, you imagine, can you imagine if like, I'm sure you haven't noticed, but two of those guys actually like split. No, no, there's, there's, a, I, I, I can't say explicitly what it, what it looks like, but, but suffice it to say, there's at least one shot where there's at least one guy where if you just looked at him, you would go like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, it's like, he's doing fight choreography, but like, there's nobody there. Like he's mm-hmm. like just doing a cool move in order <laughs> to fill out the shot sort of. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I like the dog fights. I like, um, the, uh, sort of military strategy, uh, uh, that, uh, is, um, 
sort of a topic in The Last Jedi. Yeah, me too. I like, I like that they fuck up. I like the stuff about light speed tracking and about, you know, uh, the amount of fuel they have and how they can keep surviving because they have their shields up, but eventually they'll be sitting ducks because they'll run out of fuel and they, they'll they be able to get, the enemy will be able to get close enough that their shields won't be effective. Like all of that feels very carefully thought out in a way where it's like, oh, you, th- you've created a really specific problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that uh, attention to, to detail that sort of makes it feel like real sci-fi. Um, and then they really... Uh, drop that ball in the next movie but i'll get to that later mm-hmm. um so since i don't have a, a lot to say about what this movie could have been about philosophically i just want to offer one idea i had that might have uh, been a cool alternative to um the way that they kept luke on the island and it's very cool when he does, you know, the force projection and he never really left and it kills him. Um, maybe that could have been something that happened earlier in the movie. Um, maybe somebody could have found him on the island, Kylo Ren. Or Here, Here's my idea. In the first movie, all Kylo Ren and the bad guys want to do is kill Luke Skywalker Snoke wants him dead because he's the last Jedi and they will be wiping out the Jedi by killing Luke Skywalker. After the events of the first movie, Snoke, Kylo Ren, the bad guys know um, Rey is, is, is here. She's not a Jedi yet, but she's obviously the heir to the Jedi, like, or, or a, a, potential heir because snoke specifically like makes fun of kylo ren for having lost to her at the beginning when he's when kylo's being like like at his peak emo right so they sort of in in snoke's throne room when snoke is still alive and taunting her the movie sort of acknowledges like okay their plan now is to kill ray and then find and kill luke skywalker and then the jedi will be done for what i what I uh, decided I wanted after I thought of it was I want a version of this story where the bad guys acknowledge we took too long. It It is too late to just kill Luke Skywalker and uh, therefore extinguish the Jedi because he has an apprentice and because they, the characters in the universe, remember the history of Star mm-hmm. Wars as well as we do. Uh-huh. And um, to the extent that I have seen the original Star Wars, which is very close to having done it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. A scene I think about a lot is when uh, Obi-Wan dies. Yeah. And he says, uh, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And then Darth Vader swings his saber at him and Obi-Wan's, uh, Obi-Wan disappears. 
and his robe is left behind. And if I remember correctly, I wonder if you remember. I think he pokes at it. He kind of pokes at it with his foot (laughs) as if to say, where did he go? Yeah. Um, So what, so two things fascinate me about that. And one is the possibility that Darth Vader didn't kill Obi-Wan with that saber strike. Mm-hmm. That Obi-Wan picked that moment to disappear. Yeah. And the other thing that I find fascinating is the idea that he will be more powerful after death. So what I want from this movie is an acknowledgement that to kill Luke when he was the only Jedi with no heir and no apprentice would have been enough. Mm-hmm. But now he has an heir apparent and we, the bad guys, would effectively be advantaging the good guys by killing Luke mm-hmm. because by killing him, we would make him more powerful. Yeah. And I do know that there are, and I cannot recall them right now, there are in supplemental canon material. Yeah rules about who and who does not become a force ghost okay and and who and who does not why someone does or does not manifest themselves that way okay um i'm not saying that as a way to explain away what your point Mm -hmm. because i think that um you know for a lot of people the movies are what it there is yeah um but i'm just saying that i feel like this probably is explained somewhere my my point is what I want from the movie is creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. I want uh, Snoke to say to Kylo Ren, um, you were too slow. Uh, now there's a new young Jedi. When we kill Luke Skywalker, he will become more powerful. He will empower Rey in the way that Obi-Wan Kenobi after his death, empowered Luke Skywalker to bring down uh, the Empire. Therefore, we need to find a way to take Luke Skywalker off the board without killing him. Mm -hmm. Which naturally begs the question, and this is the question that I want, this is not a big picture philosophical question. It's not about stakes or meta reading of the movie. It is just a nerdy... Logistical question. Logistical question. It begs the question, can you freeze Jedi Master Luke Skywalker in Carbonite? Oh, yeah. And Uh would that prevent him from communicating with Rey and other Jedi or Force-sensitive people? Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's, That's just my pitch for something that they could have done in The Last Jedi. I think it would have been neat. Yeah, funny, funny to think that Carbonite doesn't come up again, because it was so so iconic. Right. Like my mom has a set of ice cube trays mm-hmm. that are Han frozen in Carbonite. Yeah, and and it's uh, you know you remember uh, the quote that I guess everyone, it comes up in the Mandalorian. That's the only other time. That's I can the think place, of it yeah, because he's a bounty hunter. Yeah. Um. And and I've made fun of before, as so many people before me have. 
when George Lucas said, you know, it's like poetry, they rhyme. Um, you know, that's part of what they're going for. The Starkiller base is like the Death Star. So it's like, this is the second movie. Empire gave us Carbonite. So like, okay, that's Why a not? nice mirroring thing. Yeah. And I've also heard people um, talk about how I- I've heard the reaction to that part of the Mandalorian that he has that thing on his ship where he can like freeze somebody in carbonite. And he basically has like a, you know, drying rack <laughs> of, like a of rack, yeah. uh, bounties frozen in carbonite. I saw somebody react like, you know, when they did that in empire, it was not like they were set up to do that. It was like, they didn't know if Han was going to live. <laughs> and um, it was just sort of this apparatus that, did something else for a different purpose and they were like let's do this to him they were like fuck this guy yeah (laughs) so i would have liked to see if the last jedi gave us some kind of a new twist on that where it's like okay in the years since the empire did that to han now that technology has been like repurposed and now there's like i don't know you know a carbonite uh cannon or so or something like that uh, some kind of portable, you know, version of... Uh, Which is also... I also can just hear Mark Hamill talking to, like, Ray, And Ray being like, Oh, no, when are you going to get your sight back? And mm-hmm. Mark Hamill just being like, I think it takes, like, 36 hours. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like making some joke that's, like, clearly a nod to the fact that he knows it'll happen soon, but not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, let's just move on to the rise of Skywalker, but, but by talking about that, we have to talk about, um, the sort of the parts of the last Jedi that the, the rise of Skywalker had to deal with. Now, uh, obviously, um, much, uh, discussion. Oh, by the way, I never, when I was doing May the 24th be with you and all that, I never, I never made the very easy joke of, um, you know, I want to do this episode because it's it's about time that somebody talked about these movies, especially on the internet, especially someone who looks like me. Um, yeah. And, well, uh, and especially somebody that looks like everybody's favorite, what commander, captain, general. He becomes the supreme leader if you if you mean Adam Driver. No, I'm talking about me. Oh, you mean Holda? Okay, I thought you meant <laughs> I look like Adam Driver. Oh yeah, we'll have to. Um, We'll have to put in the show notes the side-by-side I've made of young you and, and Adam Driver where you just look fucking identical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, it's it's um, what was I, I was in the middle of saying um, the heightening of that joke is uh, for me to say, oh, yeah, it's uh, I wanted to tackle a topic that was um, not divisive and not controversial <laughs> and uh, would just go over easy <laughs> with anyone. So the reason I remembered that joke was because I was about to say, you know, much discussion has been had about how Rise of Skywalker uh, had a uh, writer and director, uh, Colin Trevorrow, who got the boot, and then they brought back J.J. Abrams, and J.J. Abrams had to finish what he started, but also finish what Ryan Johnson had done uh, in the intervening time. Um, and basically, I, I just watched, uh, rewatched Rise of Skywalker uh, last night. Um, basically, um, I think it's uh, uh, I think it's a pretty decent movie, and and I enjoyed uh, watching it. 
Um, I think it's and, a great movie to watch. Yeah, it, it's like it's like a pretty fun watch. And, and then I think it's a great movie for me to cherry pick the things I like. <laughs> it is. Yeah, there are definitely things to, uh, to like and to cherry pick. Um, that being said, the caveat I was going to offer is that if it's a decent fun movie, um, it is a, a bad sequel to mm-hmm. the previous movies. Um, and the other way I thought of framing it is the rise of Skywalker is, in my opinion, pretty successful on its own terms. Mm. The terms that are the very foundation are, are extremely flawed to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, like the movie, like the very first thing in the movie is the dead speak. There's a transmission from Palpatine Kylo Ren's after him. Kylo Ren finds him in a minute or two. He's there. He's real. That's how it starts. That's where we're starting from. <laughs> um, so uh, there, yeah, they don't wait to reveal that. No, which is nice uh, actually. Well, it's sort of, but also seeing it for the first time, you know, I definitely had thoughts of like, well, they're giving us this in the beginning. Because there's going to be a twist later mm-hmm. about how like Palpatine is just a puppet and he didn't really survive. He's not really alive. Something else is going on. Nothing else was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out. Um, so why did they do this? Obviously, um, uh, and anyone uh, who's seen the movies knows and understands um, that uh, the the position that J.J. Uh, Abrams was put in was Ryan Johnson killed Snoke uh, and made Kylo Ren the supreme leader uh, mm-hmm. in his place. And J.J. Abrams, uh, being partially responsible for creating Kylo Ren and starting uh, and Snoke that story. Um, well, m- my point being is that I think J.J. Abrams. Uh, who knows who who was responsible for what creative decision, but J.J. Abrams being the director and one of the writers, I'm just putting it on him that he slash they all must have thought, well, Kylo, well, Kylo Ren has to be redeemed in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's the arc of these. It will be too sad if it's, if he's not. The arc of these three movies is uh, he, he needs to be redeemed in the end. And... Uh, the reason why that's so familiar is he's like Vader. Um, mm-hmm. And we are doing with him what uh, was done with Vader in Return of the Jedi. Um, and so uh, as long as we're doing that, uh, there also needs to be a greater villain who is defeated because uh, so, someone needs to be defeated and yeah. it's not going to be Kylo Ren because we're mm-hmm. redeeming him. So J.J. Uh, Abrams literally said, fuck it. You can look it up. He said it in an interview. Um, I'm quoting him. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's like, uh, the, the emperor is, is the villain. Um, and they um, could not, you know, determined in what they had to do, which was redeem Kylo Ren and uh, have a, a, a villain to be defeated in the climax. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, they could not think of any more creative way to do it than just repeating what was done in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So um, after The Last Jedi, when The Last Jedi was new uh, and there was no more Snoke and Kylo Ren looked at the end of that movie like he had really gone off the deep end. Yeah. I was really interested to see where they could go from there. And I was really interested and I was admittedly very naive thinking, oh, there's a real possibility that Kylo Ren will be the villain and stay the villain. Mm -hmm. And they will tell a story about where they're again creative where someone can't be redeemed creative problem solving it's it's about what do the good guys do knowing that the bad guy they have to defeat is someone uh who you know who is a family member you know basically who they who they someone they love and someone they failed yeah exactly so um that's what i that's how i would rewrite this movie um, obviously, uh, they, the, uh, Hey, the show's called the smug buds. So I, yeah. I don't mind sounding smug when I say that they would, it, it's, it's Disney. It's this huge apparatus. They would never be brave enough to, yeah, to sure. tell a story like this. But all that I want from rise of Skywalker is to, and, and now we're getting back to, you know, what if it was about something that I'm interested in philosophically? <laughs> you know, we yeah. can get into the nitty gritty of how it would play out logistically. Mm-hmm. But philosophically, I was rewatching Rise of Skywalker and I was thinking, does this movie have anything going on upstairs? And the only thing I could think of is it clearly wants to, it clearly wants you to contemplate the question, are there more of us meaning resistors than there mm-hmm. are of them meaning fascists mm-hmm. um is there actually any hope of defeating them and the answer is yes there is hope and the hope is in our sheer numbers because the truth is there are more of us mm-hmm. and there and that is a, a question and an answer and a message for our times, obviously, and for 2019 when the movie came out. Um, and I'm not against that. It's a little shallow, um, uh, but uh, it is um, in a way that I think is respectful, um, adding to part of what we saw in The Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. I like that they uh, take the time to recognize, hey, there was this thing that happened at the at the end of the Last Jedi where where we sent out a distress signal to everyone everywhere and no one responded. Yeah. Um. And so there's and there were like literally ten of us left. Right. And there <laughs> and there's this question of, um, well, is there any any hope that it's going to be different next time? Mm-hmm. Um. And like I said, that I think that. In theory, on paper, that's sort of simplistic, but also because of the context and and because of the the continuing story between these two movies, it's like, oh, you, okay, that's like, I can actually buy into 
that that is a question, mm-hmm. that that is a concern for these characters. Um, I uh, real quick because we're not, that made me remember the connections, but you know how this movie builds off the previous movie. I mentioned the light speed tracking thing. Yeah. So uh, this this is something that I never would have thought about until I did what I did and I watched these two movies just a few days apart, mm-hmm. which I hadn't done before. The Last Jedi introduces, oh no, uh, we're on the run, but for the first time ever, they can track us through light speed. Mm-hmm. So going you know, warp mode um, won't uh, get us away. It's not an easy escape the way that it's always been. And I never even really thought about it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. Um, So uh, that's a big, that's a big problem in the plot of the last Jedi is trying to solve Mm -hmm. that problem. And then uh, at the beginning, pretty early on in the rise of Skywalker, we see the Falcon being chased by TIE fighters and uh, Poe Dameron does this thing they call light speed skipping where he keeps going in and out of light speed mm-hmm. and the chase continues and they keep having to do that because the TIE fighters are following them through this process because as the last Jedi established, uh, tracking through light speed is possible now. So two things, the first being uh, on paper, I can see how that, you know, light speed skipping thing would be a cool uh, heightening of what was set up in the last Jedi. It's like, okay, well if, if light speed is not a, a guaranteed immediate getaway, then you could have a chase scene where you do it, multiple times and you go through these different environments and that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. And it sort of is. And that's it. Yeah. It's just sort of fun and it never comes back in the movie and Mm -hmm. it never becomes like relevant to the plot in any uh, uh, series in any significant way. Um, And secondly, in the last Jedi, in addition to establishing the tracking through light speed is now possible, they also make it so that it's possible in this like really specific way mm-hmm. where they have like a whole fleet of star destroyers and one of those ships is doing the tracking. But if they take out that one ship, then they'll just start doing it with one of the other ships. And mm-hmm. so they need to sneak aboard the ships that's doing it and disable it so that they get away before they notice that the tracking is disabled. And it's all very carefully thought out in a way that to me does not imply that in the future, any and every TIE fighter will be able to track the Falcon through light speed. Right. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's what Ryan Johnson or anyone meant. Uh, when yeah. And it's, it's been a year. They, they, maybe they could have figured it they, out. Maybe, then, maybe they've yeah, it's, uh, honed the, the technology. But, they were but like, we still, gotta fast track this shit. It, 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 suspension of disbelief, and it, it's it's a it's a movie with space wizards. It's mm-hmm. it's very silly and tedious to say that anything in particular strains credulity <laughs> in a Star yeah. Wars movie. But I'm doing it anyway, 
it strains credulity that every single TIE fighter can track the Falcon through light speed. Yeah. Um, it was just a cool idea for a fun new kind of chase scene. Um, and that was the whole point of it was just to have a, a little fun. Um, and uh, that's not enough. So um, back to uh, what the bigger picture philosophical, what I want this movie to be about. Um, basically, uh, I sort of already said it, but I'm going to say it again, but try to frame it a little differently. Um, you know, in it, the, the um, uh, what's the allegory uh, to a real world situation, the real world situation, if it were an allegory, is what if you had a family member who was an addict and um, you loved them and you wanted to help them, but they basically can't be helped. Like some people just end up a certain way where ultimately in the end, you're not going to be able to help them or save them. I would actually take that one step further. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that with addiction, you can say, well, you know, that's a disease, right? right? I would say the question is, what if you have a family member who's a known abuser? Mm -hmm. And then how are you supposed to, or are you supposed to love somebody? I mean, what what is Kylo Ren breaking into your brain except assault? Right. Especially when he then manipulates you about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And tells you that you're nothing, for example. Right. And so, yes, I think that your metaphor still stands, but yeah. I think that it's actually darker than what you're even suggesting. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, the the uh, A question I ask all the time. Part of the, yes, about about forgiveness, and that, that's part of what it's about as well. It's about what are, are there limits on your responsibility to help a family member because they're a family member do they need to get infinite second chances because they're family um or uh is is there a point where you you don't have that responsibility anymore um and what do they have to do in order for you to reach that point um the the um, context that I'm bringing to this that uh, when I saw The Last Jedi and I thought like, geez, what do they do next? Where do they go from here? Is um, I, something that I think is so brilliant that I think about it a lot is the dilemma in the last, if I remember correctly, I want to say like four episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. I was going to bring up Avatar. I'm so glad you brought up Avatar. Yeah, because I think it's a stroke of genius when I think it is even like the last line in an episode. Like it is presented like it is a cliffhanger. Yes. Where where Zuko just like outright says to Aang, he doesn't say it like this, but I'm going to say it like this. If you're a vegan and a monk and you won't kill anyone, what are you going to do about the bad guy? The one who can't be redeemed like me. So what this movie, obviously in Avatar terms, what this movie wants is for uh, Kylo Ren to be like Zuko Mm -hmm. to be redeemed. However, they're doing it Vader style 
where he'll just do something good and then die. And so you don't have to do anything that would be messy or complicated the way that Avatar did with Zuko and actually told an interesting story about redemption and forgiveness and trying to be a better person and and how hard it is for him, but also how hard it is for them to, you know, uh, accept that he's growing and changing and forgive him and work with him. The the other person I think about who's had that happen to their character is, and this is a much more minor character um, comparatively to like, you know, Darth Vader is Anya in Buffy. Right. Where Anya, at the end of Buffy, spoilers for Buffy if you weren't expecting this, you know, she becomes a, um, she has been already a vengeance demon. Right. So that's always there. But once she becomes human, it's sort of like, well, you're human again now, so we're going to sort of, like, forgive that. Right. Until she makes the choice again to become a vengeance demon. Right. And um, does some very brutal and terrible things. And then in the final battle, she is one of the ones that doesn't make it. Um, I also want to bring up Avatar really quickly because I really wanted to bring up something that I was thinking about in regards to Rey, which is there's a scene in, and this is going back a movie, but there's a scene in Korra Mm -hmm. where she gets cut off from the lineage of um the other avatars and there's only Korra left and then she has that really fucks her up mm-hmm. and she has to deal with the ramifications of the fact that she is now the avatar without the history of the avatar right and when ray is in the cavern and she sees herself reflecting back and forth and back and forth um i thought of herself i thought of that scene in Korra. right but in a different way. And this is one of those things where it's like, it almost doesn't matter because they're different. Mm-hmm. But stick with me for a second. In my head, I was like, you know, either she's nothing or it doesn't matter where she's come from. Or even if it does matter where she's come from, she is only a reflection of herself at this point. Mm-hmm. And so then when you bring that to this ending scene, um, you get to the, and then she does connect with like the Jedi, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It becomes a sort of like found family, sort of like she is a reflection of herself. And so she picks who she's reflecting. Right. And she decides she's not going to reflect what she was maybe physically tied to, Mm -hmm. but she's going to reflect the Jedi, however flawed the Jedi are and were. Right. Um, And this is one of those things where I'm cherry picking and I want to be very clear that I'm cherry picking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but this makes a lot of sense to me. And I think in a way that a lot of people are just like, it doesn't make any sense. They fucked it up. They should, it it should have just been Ray should have just been a nobody is something Blake says over and over again. Um, But it makes sense to me that it's a choice that she makes Mm -hmm. um, for however messy it is that they get there. Right. Um, and that's the words I have to say about yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, they, they did some things, you know, partially right or, or in a way that I can get behind, uh, like you're saying. So um, for Kylo Ren in this movie, uh, to put it back into Avatar terms, um, okay, if you insist on telling a story in this third movie where he gets redeemed, one way that it could be improved is 
doing more of a Zuko thing where Mm -hmm. he does not die. He has to live uh, with what he's done. uh, And he has to uh, somehow, you know, integrate into uh, a family or a society or a system where he atones and he persuades them that Kylo Ren is dead. I'm Ben now. Um, I, I'm, I take responsibility, but also I am a different person. Yeah. Um, however, uh, what I am more interested in is the story where in Avatar terms in this third movie, uh, Kylo Ren is the Fire Lord. Mm-hmm. And the driving question is... Which is also kind of funny. Sure. Oh, because uh, Mark Hamill? Yeah. yeah. Um, in this uh, in this movie, the, the, the driving question would be like, well, well what uh, is the right thing to do for Rey being a new Jedi and trying to uphold you know, the way of the light side of the force. Um, you know, what do you do about uh, a villain who uh, is too far gone? Um, but even if there is still good in him, it's right. like not enough. Right. Uh, and, and he's, you know, and he's part of the family and he's not uh, just an evil empire uh, emperor who, who you can, you know, throw off a, a metal cliff. Um, um, I also, I need to say this because it will do a disservice to our number one listener, our devotee, Sarah, mm-hmm. which I'm, maybe you were going to bring up, but we're running out of time. So I want to make sure we say it. Yeah. That movie, that redemption arc would absolutely have looked a million times different if Carrie Fisher hadn't died. Oh, of course. Well, okay. That, because that's... that should have been the Carrie Fisher movie. It was the, supposed to be the Leia been, movie. It was a Leia movie. It wouldn't have been him like talking to Han weirdly. Okay. And Han being like, oh, hey man. Yeah. And repeating the dialogue from the first movie. Yeah. Uh, that's, that leads me very nicely in a transition to what this movie, how this movie needed to begin. Which I, I I know this I know the story you wanted to tell, and I know that this was supposed to be the Leia movie, and I know what you have the technology to do, but face facts, she just has to be dead. It sucks. It sucks. It's not what anyone wanted, but for God's sake, what you did was weird, gross, yeah. stupid, and morbid, and and feels. Talk about something feeling off. Like this is, it, it's so, it's embarrassing. Uh, the way that they just shoehorn in lines like never underestimate a droid and, and mm. uh, it, it, what a joke. Any Anything else is the wrong decision. Anything other than we open on Leia's funeral. Yeah. That's how yep. the, That's the, mo- the movie be. starts with Leia's funeral for a little while. It is a eulogy for Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. as well as the character. 
And then, not saying that it's going to be fun or light. Easy. Or easy. But who shows up at the funeral but Lando. Mm -hmm. And then you get into a plot about who is going to succeed Leia. And there are two parallel obvious heirs to the throne. And one is Lando, who is the old guard, but we haven't seen him for a while. Mm -hmm. And the other is Poe, who is new, but he's been here and he's earned it. Yeah. And I am not trying to set up a competition storyline. On the contrary, if you're going to build off of what we saw in The Last Jedi, write a story for Poe where in this movie, he starts from a place of he's been humbled and he is eager to serve and to be the best soldier possible. Therefore, he wants Lando in charge. Mm -hmm. So Lando takes the job, but the arc in this movie for Poe is that Poe needs to grow into actually Poe should be in charge. Yeah. And Lando knows it all along and Lando just but he's Lando takes the job because you know Poe won't do it and no one else will and Lando just kind of you know does what Poe knows is best and in the end it's like you know, I never gave a single order. Like, I just repeated what you did. And and yeah. do you want the job? Because it's been yours all along. And that and Poe's confidence has been built up to the point where he's not only self-assured, but he's also mature enough to be the leader he was supposed to be. Finn has no arc because there is nowhere else for Finn to go because The Last Jedi took Finn from a place where... He was a survivor who now had friends he wanted to look out for, but he still just wants to escape, but he wants to be with Rey. That's where Force Awakens left him. Two, at the end of The Last Jedi, he says, Rebel scum. In my opinion, the low point of The Last Jedi is Finn's fight with Phasma, uh, especially the part where uh, the ATST, I think it, they're ATSTs. The ATST starts blasting, and then the top comes off, and it's BB 8. And Finn and Rose have a cheeky little look at each other, like, Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And that's, <laughs> and it's stupid. Um, also, by the way, uh, just a quick pitch that I never said, uh, just remembered going back to The Force Awakens, you could do this. Um, really simple. Uh, just make Phasma and Hux the same character. Yeah. Um, so, Actually, so, just make it Phasma. Sure. Yeah. We don't need one of the Weasley brothers. Yeah, that's okay. Um, you can have an evil woman. Obviously, people want to buy Phasma toys more than they want to buy Hux toys. So, yeah. Yeah. It can be Gwendolyn Christie and it can look like She's Phasma, so tall. but also <laughs> have the, you know, stuff to do that Hux has to do um so and also while we're at it completely cut out that group of people that they meet in the ninth movie i disagree i disagree because because rose i know i'm very i'm very very upset as you are that rose is completely sidelined 
in There's like literally a part in the movie where she she gets like 39 seconds in the whole movie, which we know why and I know it's all and it's fucked up or whatever. But at the end, she literally says to to Finn, "Are you going with her?" Mm-hmm. And Kelly Marie, Marie Tran's acting is she looks at him like, "Do you remember the last movie?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're- and he's like, "No, I don't." And like goes off. 100%. Uh, there are three cardinal sins of the Rise of Skywalker, and they are Palpatine, uh, what they did with Leia, and completely sidelining Rose. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are, are unforgivable. Um, I do like the part of the movie about Finn uh, meeting the other deserters and the, yeah. the group that used to be stormtroopers. Um that's just a neat idea, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't give the movie a lot of points. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't want to get rid of it. Just don't make one a romantic interest, I guess, is my point. Fair. Yeah. Um, that's barely a part of it. It's barely it's a part there. of it, except for the fact that he ends up with her and not with Rose, which is what makes it so, like, deeply fucked up. Uh, does Finn end up with her or does Lando end up with her? Because the last <laughs> person we see her talk to is Lando. Sure, but he ends up partnering even in work with her instead of with Rose. Yeah, uh, understood. So, uh, open on Leia's funeral. Um, here, another part of my pitch for the the way that this movie starts is the crawl would give us the information. Um, there's uh, been a schism in the First Order. Um, the Supreme Leader of the First Order is Hux, or in my version, uh, might be Phasma. Mm-hmm. One and the same. Um, that's the First Order. They're over here. They represent the uh, Empire. Also, Kylo Ren has his own uh, faction that he leads. They're the Knights of Ren. And they represent the Sith. And there's a schism between the two, and they're actually sort of fighting each other. And that gives the resistance the time yeah. to regroup and rebuild. And also it sort of puts the story and our characters, our heroes on parallel tracks where like Ray can deal with Kylo Ren and the Sith stuff and Finn and Poe and Lando and Rose and whoever, and I guess Dominic Monaghan and Greg Grunberg because it's yeah, J.J. Yeah, I don't know Abrams. why that's happening. Uh, be, yeah, because it's J-Day. Um, they're, they're, dealing, they're dealing with the, the First Order. The real, mm-hmm. you know, sword fights over here and dog fights over here. Um, so uh, lastly, sort of, um, in The Rise of Skywalker, as, as they made it, um, they show briefly the Jedi texts uh, from Last Jedi that we saw Rey actually got away with. And in The Rise of Skywalker, the reason that that is supposed to be significant is there's some information in one of the texts that is uh, a lead that they chase to help them find Exegol, uh, the Sith planet. Uh who, who cares? Um, in my version that I'm pitching, 
the reason that it's important that Ray gets away with the Jedi texts is there is ancient wisdom in there that she studies and has a long time to study. And in the intervening time between movies, she becomes basically like a, an, an excellent monk. Like she, like she, she basically becomes an airbender in, in my version uh, that I'm pitching. And I'm imagining like she, I'm imagining it is kind of alienating her from her friends. And that's part of the conflict. I'm imagining that the way that it manifests is that like she meditates a lot. She's so in touch with the energy of the force that like she no longer needs to eat and she no longer needs to sleep. She just like sustains herself on the force. Mm -hmm. And then why that becomes important is as far as answering the question of like, what do you do with that person in your life who can't be helped? Um, I don't know exactly what the ending is, but I'm imagining a sort of confrontation between Kylo Ren and Rey where she sort of fights like an airbender where for as long as possible, like she never even like draws her weapon. She's just like by meditating and being in touch with the force and studying, she's become this, uh, you know, perfect like evader and defender she she maybe she, can even like force project multiple versions of herself yeah or, like yeah. move herself around mm-hmm. a room yeah, yeah 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 that's that's very cool and that would yeah there would be some, be some trick there would be some trickery <laughs> involved as well um she's the one when there's four of them the one that spins for a second mm-hmm. that's how you get her is that a video game reference or something? That's a reference to the pose in the Forest Temple of Ocarina ah, of Time. Okay, very good. They, I knew it had to be from a video game. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm just imagining like she uh, is uh, typical, as as Boomy uh, once said, typical airbender uh, tactics, avoid and evade. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, just gets more and more pissed off and, and just... Uh, wants nothing but to to kill her um and she um can do this forever because she's such a great monk that she uh has you know superhuman patience and also superhuman abilities to and endurance uh, endurance she can just draw from the force right exactly and 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 so it's uh, this is this makes me think of the Dark Knight and what the Joker says about like this is what happens when and the unstoppable uh, the the what is it unstoppable force meets the immovable object. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, um, well, this could go on forever, except for the fact that um, he is on the dark side and his anger will exhaust like. He will run. Exhausted. He will run out of steam before she does. Mm-hmm. So, like, if this keeps going, like, eventually he will just like collapse. Um, and so, yeah, that th- I'm imagining that sort of fight because it could be, you know, compelling action, mm-hmm. but it would also be this sort of 
metaphor for what you do when when you're in a position uh like that with with someone you just want to help but they're helpless and yeah uh they're ultimately you know they're just gonna irredeemable yeah they're 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 just gonna kill themselves or or i don't know exit your life in some other way um obviously they would never make that that movie but that's but that's my pitch uh regardless can i tell you my little pitch i know we're kind of over time no go ahead like i said i'm cherry pick a lot of what i like out of the last um the the rise of skywalker the last movie yeah not the last jedi um but the thing that is most interesting to me specifically and i know we've talked about this off mic a lot is the idea that they're inextricably linked. There's like a mythic connection between um, uh, Ben and Ray. Mm-hmm. And they that is how they sort of do this force bonding. That is how they end up fighting across like dimension, essentially. Right. Um, and part of the reason I'm so interested in this is because of my book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because as I told you, um, when I saw them doing this and communicating this way and having these moments that were both incredibly intimate but incredibly violent, I was like, that's my book. That's Ashley Shurganash and the Wolf. That's why I want Adam Driver to be the wolf. Yeah. Um, because I can see him doing that. That said, um, similar to how you're saying, let's rearrange these groups a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, let's have the Knights, let's have the First Order, right. etc. I would have actually loved and it kills me every time I rewatch the scene because it seems so possible if Ray actually had taken Ben's hand mm-hmm. and I would have loved and I can't even tell you what the movie would look like but I would have loved to see a movie where maybe Kylo Ben, you know, like something that isn't exactly Kylo Ren, but also isn't Ben Solo, or as I like to call him, regardless of what the movie does, Ben Organa. Right. Um, something in between what he um, was and is. And then Ray is also something in between what we expect from her right. and what we don't expect from her. Right. And they go off and... Now everyone else around them has to deal with the fact that two of their hypothetically strongest people are now together doing something and they're not even sure what it is. Right. And also, I agree with you that, yeah, Leia's funeral needs to start too. So in that sense, I feel like if they had done that, the fact that she's gone would be even more of an unmooring, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there really is no one that is now this sort of great force. Right. Um, Hux is maybe there, but him, I mean, we don't even have time to talk about how weird Hux is in the ninth movie. Yeah. He's just I am a the goofy spy. motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> He's a goofy, goofy motherfucker. He was like, what? Why were you here? He's exactly like, um, oh, um, not TARDIS. Um. Tarkin? Who was? Tarkin. Yeah. Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. He's a Grand Moff Tarkin. He's exactly like him, where, like, he's supposed to be scary, but he's, like, not, because he's not 
fucking Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of scary when he's, you know, doing the speech. You remember the scene in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this is this is as blatantly, you know, a scene of Nazi Germany as, as has ever been as in a do. Star Wars movie. Um, um, but, you know, him, is, you know, maybe he's there, but he's sort of a weak link anyway. So that, like, yeah. is even more exposed in a way that actually makes sense. Right. Um, that's also, again, a movie they would never, ever make. But it does fit really well with what Ben is proposing. He's yeah. saying we have to get rid of the past. Right. And that's honestly also what Luke is saying. Yeah. Luke is saying the Jedi Order was fucking weird. Right. <laughs> like, we need to figure out a bet. Like, the Force is always here, but the Jedi is a religion. Yeah. And we need to figure out a better way to do this. Right. Yeah, I think um, we agree on a lot. I think that where we diverge is that the uh, uh, part of this that you are most interested in is like the emotional stakes for <laughs> <Yes>. the characters, <laughs> and you're Me? you're bringing Emotions? you're bringing up you know grief and forgiveness, and. To me, my m- most interesting way to read these movies is metatextually mm-hmm. and th- thinking about like how Luke Skywalker in exile is perhaps that way because he's supposed to be George Lucas after the prequels. Like that mm-hmm. that's, you know, the failure that he's hiding from and uh you know, and Kylo Ren is the, you know, toxic fanboy and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, speaking of movies that they would never make, um, will you indulge me for just a couple of extra minutes as yes. I pitch to you uh, the f- first scene for my episode 10? Before you do that, can I just tell you my most controversial take about episode nine, yeah. which is related to all of this, so I don't really need to get into it, which yeah. is that. I like the kiss. I yeah. I like I like the kiss because I don't see it as a romantic conclusion. I see it as a final intimate moment between two people that are linked as a way that they can meet each other as equals before we have to move on. I like it too and my reasoning is Really? Uh, yeah, uh, we stepped on my, uh my reasoning is they're both hot. Uh, and I, <laughs> they like, are both I like seeing them kiss um, and you also like to you can just imagine your face right up against daisy ridley's <laughs> since it's so similar similar yes <laughs> uh so uh episode 10 uh yes. I, the, uh i'm imagining a cold open which doesn't which is irrelevant <laughs> which because, doesn't exist yeah there's no cold <laughs> opens in star wars there has to be a crawl that sets the scene um but uh just imagine that the crawl uh, exists, but it does not give away uh, what I'm about to tease. Or maybe the cold open is the first trailer, and so it is still the first thing that people see. Could be. So here's our scene. Um, Everyone, uh, every character in the scene that I'm about to describe is is never before seen. Um, But we recognize them as a band of smugglers. Um, the kind that are not scary, um, but are, you know, poor and desperate and we are rooting for them immediately because they're hungry and, uh, they are in this sort of ramshackle little ship 
uh, and they are uh, trying to pull off a heist. And it is very clear that they, that they are robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Um, and so there's a fun, uh, hi- imagine a fun heist that is uh, the action um, that gets you to quickly fall in love with these charming smugglers for a few minutes until they are making their getaway. Uh, and they are getting away with it and they are getting away in their ship and they uh, fly off, uh, but they don't get far um, before they're frozen in midair. Mm. And then they're inside and beep, 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 you know, all that shit is going off on the consoles and the panels and the alarms and the blinking lights. And there's, I don't know, maybe like three or four of them and they're panicking and they're going, what's wrong, you know, what's wrong with the thruster? Is it the, is it the compressor? You know, uh, why can't you make the jump to light speed? Blah blah blah. Um, the, uh, oh, and also the pilot. Some droid goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a droid among them, and the, and the pilot is going. No, that's working fine. No, this is working fine. Like everything's working fine. Like we should be moving. Like all this stuff is is working. And then we cut to the exterior of the ship, frozen in midair, and it pans out slowly. Until we see there's a there's a hand, you know, the hand mm. is holding it in place. Someone is using the force and then a second hand joins it. And then we cut to the people whose hands those are uh, and they're dressed in, you know, sort of imposing um, quasi military uh garb uh and then uh as they're standing there with their hands in the air um each one of them ignites a lightsaber and one of them is red and the other one is blue uh and they sort of swing them around like nightsticks and then you cut back to the ship and it looks exactly like police lights uh, are being you know cast oh shit on this because uh, I've and the, and the reason for all this is and and I, I started this by transitioning by saying speaking of movies they would never make mm-hmm. I, I think the the main the big story that is left to tell that they were not brave enough to tell with that they could have done with this series of movies seven eight and nine is what happens next when the people who are supposed to be the good guys are in power mm-hmm. and what if you know power corrupted and what if you know special interests and rich and powerful people you know wormed their way into the new government that the people who are supposed to be good are establishing and what if the logical conclusion of that was that like you know jedi become like street street level enforcers you know um and in being cops they become you know the new fascists and if this were episode not episode seven but episode 10 as i'm i'm imagining then it would be a story about Ray, like 
reckoning with, you know, learning. Oh, 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 there's, there's, you know, upholding, uh, good morals Mm -hmm. is often not the same as upholding the law. Yes. Morality is not legality. And, uh, and learning that lesson. And that's what they call episode 10. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Do you have a name? No, no, absolutely not. No, okay. I just thought I've just thought of, like I've just thought of, you know, telling a story about like it's actually we're gonna actually come to think of it, we're kind of maybe gonna talk about it again in November because it's not totally d- dissimilar to the story that I think they were trying to tell in in um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. about um what side are superheroes really on are they are they on the side of good or are they on the side of the establishment yeah. and what about when those two are at odds with each other i know that i've had i've asked you i know you've watched some of this and kind of fell off much, much as i did um but these questions are huge questions in Steven Universe. And yeah. I think that they handle them really, really deftly. Yeah, I didn't get very far uh, in that series, unfortunately. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Don't worry. Someday I'll move to Arizona and I'll come over every night and I'll sit on your couch and I'll hold your hand and we'll watch two episodes because you get two of Steven Universe because they're 11 minutes. That's what we tell Elliot. Those are the... We'll um, watch it through together. Yeah. Those are the circumstances in which I will dedicate myself to continuing to watch that show in in full. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I look forward to it. But until then, I will keep watching a bunch of bullshit on YouTube and Twitch (laughs) (laughs) when I could be watching uh, interesting scripted things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, thank you as always. Yeah, this was good. I'm very pleased with your thoughts. I'm very excited. I hope people get real bad. Mostly Blake. I will say the one thing that Blake is also most mad about in episode nine is that fucking knife. He hates that (laughs) knife. It is the thing that makes him the most mad out of everything. He's like, why do they have this knife? How did they make it match up? That doesn't make any sense. It's a ship in the water. It could have shifted. He, oh, he could go on. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) um that's legitimate Uh, i like the 3po stuff in rise of skywalker that that's one part that i like Mm -hmm. and that's kind of related to the knife Mm -hmm. but they could have done it without a knife yeah um well uh see you next month yeah see you on our twitch sooner than that Mm -hmm. and may the force be with you always i love you I love you too. Good night, Will. Good night. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at Youngest of One, and his website is WilliamHoffacker.com. You can find Liz at Exclamate on Instagram, at Exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, ElizabethDeannaMorrisLakes.com. Our website is SmugBuds.com, and the podcast is at SmugBuds on Twitter and Instagram. 